We want to welcome you to the latest episode of At Home, the podcast. It's Christmas season. It's hard to believe it's upon us. Actually, uh, looking outside earlier today, the snow had started to fly, Angie. Yes. Are you excited about that? Um, well, I'd rather have snow than rain. My husband's not excited because he plows snow. So. Oh, that's a good point. <laughs> I was going to say, snow brings to the farm, it brings a little bit of a break, doesn't it? Kind of, yes. But there's but also not if you're other plowing. things. Yeah. And yeah, but I think in general, winter in itself kind of seems like a quiet, restful, peaceful time. Yeah. I can see that. Uh, you know, but the I think the calendar for church just gets busier and busier. Yeah, so what we want to do today on this episode is we want to talk about Advent. We want to talk about some of the themes surrounding Advent. We have some special guests in the studio with you and me, Angie. Uh, we'll introduce in just a minute. But let's talk about this concept of Advent a little bit. Advent and the, especially the process of waiting. Yes. Well, Advent, if many of you are familiar with, it really means coming. It's an anticipation. And Advent season is set up in the church calendar as a time and a place to to just sit and wait for the coming of Christ. And that first advent was the birth in the manger, but there's also a second advent, which is Christ's second coming. So we are kind of in the in-between stage. I'm not a very patient person uh, by nature. For me, waiting is like 10 minutes in line at Meyer, and I'm ready to be done. And I think, boy, that just, that was everything that I could do for waiting. But waiting, when we think of the advent, is and totally different. So that's a, that was a long period of time. Yeah, and if you look in the um, God's story, the Bible, as you can see, even in Genesis three, where um, Christ was even you know given uh, hope that there was going to be redemption for the sin that took place, all the way through the promises of the prophets and into the end of the Old Testament, then there's this period of silence of four hundred years before generations. Messiah. Yeah. I can't Messiah. imagine generations of silence, uh, you know, <laughs> six months of silence, six months of waiting mm -hmm. uh, has to be excruciating. Yeah. But generations. But I think we have to realize, too, that in this it is generational, but it's God's time versus our time. And we measure time totally different than God does. And in that, he kind of knew this whole time. He, he knew what was going to happen. And then Christ came, and he didn't just come in like a, a slow prediction, he came in a moment and it totally changed. And I, I love how we've even talked a little bit how the in the scriptures, the angels come to the shepherds and what's the word that this, the Luke uses there? It says what? Suddenly, uh, you know, a, a host of angels came and said, glory to God in the highest. He's been born. The Finally, the Messiah is here. And so I just think this Advent is just a process for us to realize that God's time is in our time. He calls us to wait. He calls us to sit in his story and to see his story come uh, to fruition. Yeah, absolutely. So let's introduce our guests today. Uh, we have some friends in studio with us uh, that have meant a lot, and they have been on a journey of waiting. Uh, Rob and Chris Henschen, we're glad that you are here for a lot of reasons. Um, Rob, we're glad that you're here. <laughs> Thank yes. you. Uh, and, and you guys have had quite a story of waiting. Uh, let's just, let's start wherever you want to start. Let's talk about this process of, of, of what you've been through, physically speaking, over the last number of years. Uh, give us a little backstory. To, to people who may not know you, tell us a little bit about your journey. Um, this journey in particular started uh, probably about uh, two and a half years ago. 
and uh, it was just coming out of the, the COVID thing. And and when uh, the COVID came through, it kicked up a genetic um, condition I have called alpha-1 antitrypsin deficiency. And essentially, the way the doctors would explain to me, it's like your liver is a shipping department, but the door to ship things out, not the right size. Mm-hmm. So all the toxins and things that the liver cleans your blood with uh, can't get released on a normal basis, which um, you know has you develop different conditions like uh, losing muscle, uh, losing fat, the um, um, backlog of uh, ammonia, which starts a condition called haptic encephalopathy, which is is a fancy word to say it puts you in a coma for a few days while your body works that out. And uh, yeah, that's when it started then. Um, we had one episode and there was probably about another year. I mean, I was being treated for it, um, but nothing really happened. And then uh, near the end of 22 and the great majority of the first half of this year, it really hit hard. Um, I was probably going via ambulance to the hospital at least once, sometimes twice a month, um, you know, usually unconscious from the toxins in my bloodstream. And uh, yeah, that's kind of kind of where we were. At, at what point, uh, you, you mentioned going back and forth to the hospital, and we live in a small town, for those who might be mm-hmm. listening in another part of the country, or for that part, another mm-hmm. part of the world yeah. who listens to this podcast. Uh, we live in a small town. It has a stop light and several stop signs. And for us, where we live, which actually used to be your house, when the ambulance would come by, it would run through our stop sign. And if it's going to our nursing home right down the street, it shuts off its sirens. But if it continues on, then I know, oh, it's not the nursing home. It's something different. And I can remember a number of mornings, seven, eight in the morning, you could hear the sirens continue on. And every once in a while, I'd text Chris, this Rob going to the hospital again. And my heart would just sink watching you guys go through this process every couple of couple times a month. It's quite yeah, a journey. It, it really was tough. Um, mornings, I started to dread them because I would go um, and he would not be awake in the morning. I couldn't wake him up no matter what I tried. So for a while, I started dreading him. Um, the first one was more of a surprise, obviously. The second, you know, on, I kind of knew what was happening. Um but yeah, it was it was tough. It was tough. Um, but then I think gradually, I had to start looking at it as um, I'm thankful for another day with him. Mm-hmm. So that's what I kind of had to change my attitude towards after, you know, <laughs> after yeah. going through it so many times. Chris, I I told um, we were talking through this, and I I've watched your journey on Instagram. I love how you share pictures because pictures tell a story that's bigger than just the moment. And I want to just compliment you, Chris, because when you said I had had to trust and thank, be thankful for the day, there was never a negative um, moment in those in those times when you were sharing your story of this journey of going to the hospital. Just ple- you were just pleading for prayer, for support, and your smile in those pictures spoke volumes to me as what you were giving to not only Rob but to the situation and how God was you were allowing God to work even by the day. And like you said, every morning. Yeah, I just had to trust because you have no control over anything. And we just had to trust him. 
yeah. wholeheartedly. So let's let's talk about this just a little bit more. So, Rob, you alluded to the fact that uh, the toxins in your body could uh, become so elevated that it renders you unconscious or in a coma of sorts. And this would be the waking up process that would happen ever so often. So what would happen? Help the listener understand. They, you would wind up going to a hospital. And then what was the process from that point? Um, the process from that point was basically uh, they would... Um, you know, put different meds in me to to help flush the ammonia out. And as that level get lower, I begin to regain consciousness. Most of them were a day or two. There was one that was five days long mm-hmm. down in Indianapolis where she had to wait for me to, to wake up. Um, but even after waking up, um, some of that would still linger in the brain. And for two to three days after it, I would call it losing words. I could be in the middle of a sentence, and I couldn't remember the word I needed to say. I could, I knew it in my head, but I couldn't express it. Wow. And that would go on for a few days, and then it seems like it would clear up and, you know, completely, and, and then I'd be able to, to get out and go home again. And I kept having to remind him each time it happened that this is, no, this is normal for him. Like, he would wake up. And not be able to say what he wanted to say. And I'm like, it's okay, babe. Remember, mm. this is how it is. This, it takes you a little bit to get everything back. It'll come. You just have to be patient. And each day it would get better. You know, a couple hours at a time would get better. A day would be better. So it was just constantly trying to remind him that it's going to get better. Mm-hmm. Even when he couldn't figure out the words to say. When did it become evident that you were going to not only need a liver, but also a kidney? The liver we knew about for, for quite a while. Um, the kidney, I had a kidney transplant 12 years ago, and um, I was really lucky it, it made it that long. And uh, so the doctor I had for my kidney actually from the beginning wanted to do a dual liver kidney so they could age together from the same donor, we being the patient people we are <laughs> and who don't like to wait, yeah. um, knew it was going to be a longer wait. And so we really just pushed for the liver only. But in one of my um, hospital stays, they found I had a bacterial infection in my bloodstream. And they treated it with an antibiotic that it should have been treated with, but they treated it at way too high of a rate given the rest of my health issues. And it basically took a, a kidney that was struggling mm-hmm. and kind of knocked it out. That's when I had to begin dialysis. And that's when I went on as a dual organ recipient. Because initially, if, and, and I actually learned a lot in your, in your journey, it, it just in the little bit of the story that I was staying up with, I didn't realize that you could have a partial liver from a, a live donor that it would grow back. It, I mean, all right, f- first of all, if you don't believe in a creator, oh my. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Oh my. That is incredible to me. But it became evident then that this was going to take a different turn and that it wasn't able to just be a liver, but it also had to be the kidney and the liver from the same donor. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the challenges. Okay. Mm -hmm. Obviously, throughout this story, there's been significant challenges on your journey. Rob, um, obviously, going through it physically, the kidney, the liver, uh, the toxin levels, the fog that would come, 
all of all of that journey uh, had quite a bit of issues. But when you were talking about something that would help the kidney would actually do damage to the liver and the things that were necessary for the liver would hurt the kidney. That's a horrible spot to be in. I'm telling you something you're well aware of. <laughs> well, it got That's to be, a horrible spot to be in. Yeah, it got to be humorous after a while because the, mm-hmm. the doctors would come in, they'd look at my records, and I, I can't tell how many times I've heard, you have a very interesting case, yeah. which kind of tells me, we have no idea what to do with you. <laughs> yeah. Or complicated. Yeah. That was another word they'd use. Complicated. Mm. Well, I I just think, you know, you are the patient, Rob. So you're sitting here and everybody's poking you and you're just living this journey, really, like living in the moment. And then here Chris sits over there as the observer. And yet you guys are a team, and which was so amazing. And so tell us a little bit about what each of those, I guess you could say, uh, playing moments in the in the team like how you played as a team player chris in the support listening to the doctors say there is not really a lot we can do at this moment but trust that there will come an you know a donor and that these things will happen and that this is what we have to do and this is what you have to do and wake up with in the morning that's a huge that's a huge burden chris yeah and it um I was amazed at, it seems like whenever I would go into, the, well, the very first time I went into the hospital, um, there was a nurse there that she, I did Bible study back at Napanee Missionary oh, with, yeah. and so she was the nurse there, and it seemed like every time he was in there, she was there. And so I had that comfort and that um, support system even in the emergency room. And as we'd go back many times, the do- same doctors would be there, and, and the one time he would be like, yep, I saw your name come up, and I knew what we were going to be dealing with. And and just that, um, and knowing they know how to treat him because he'd been a, a patient of history with them. Um, and they'd be like, yep, we just need to get his ammonias down. And it's funny you mentioned being a partner because I started to know what to tell them when he was out of, okay, you can't use this on him, you can't, you have to use this, and his skin's sensitive, and da-da-da, just the list. Um, and I'd be like, I'm sorry, I'm trying to tell you what to do, but this is, you know, and it just, you just learn. You learn each time you go. You, I tried to learn more um, how to take care of him, <laughs> sometimes to the, too much, I guess, but um, just trying to be an advocate for him and just trying to um, know the best way to take care of him. Oftentimes, when a couple is standing before a preacher in front of a crowd on their wedding day, we use the phrase, for better or worse, in sickness and in health. Chris, I I don't want to say this in any kind of way to embarrass you by any means. I have been able to walk through health situations um, with a lot of families I can honestly say I don't think I've ever met somebody who has handled this with a level of grace. And, and I, I can't even look at you right now because I think I'm going to cry. The, the, man, the, the godly model at which you walked through this season is an incredible testimony. It was to me. And a testimony, I think, to so many people who saw you carry weight that you would, humanly speaking, we would say, I shouldn't have to be here. And I think so many times people turn bitter and they turn angry. And I'm sure there's that in the story, right? But the grace at which you handle this is as, is as much a testimony of God's goodness in this story um, as Rob's incredible recovery. And so 
thank you for modeling so well. Yeah, I think I think part of that is we have we'll be married 27 years in the end of this month and we've been through a lot. Mm-hmm. In 27 years. Mm-hmm. You don't think when you stand up there that you're going to go through all that we have been through together. And I just constantly had to remember back the faithfulness of God. Mm-hmm. And some days that was the only thing that got me through and kept my attitude positive. And I knew I had to be positive for him because it wouldn't help if I was upset. And um, so really, I just, I really had to hang on to God's faithfulness in and trust. Um, and that's how I've had to do it. I just, I just think that sometimes when we hear that God is good and that he works for the good of those who love him, that we think the good looks a certain way according to the lens we're looking through. <laughs> and that good is sometimes so different than what we expect. And so what I, I think what Chris is saying too is that you guys constantly fought to see the good. And I think it's a fight. Because Satan wants to keep you down. And he, he, he kept you down. These challenges, we could go on. Like, there's so many challenges. And I think even you, you got to this next point in your in your journey. You're, you're sitting here. You're on a, a double donor list. And then what happens next? The waiting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, the, and then your eyes. <laughs> and then your eyes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Explain that one. Yeah. Yeah. yeah um, one of the conditions of the liver disease that I had was low blood pressure. And uh, when I was started going through dialysis, if you come off what they call being too dry when they extract too much fluid, your blood pressure can drop even more. Well, mine got dangerously low, and my retina and macula detached in my left eye uh, to the point where I, I couldn't see at all mm-hmm. from it. So I had to have a retinal surgery done to that and, and uh, along the way. Mm-hmm. So just another... And I, when I say this is that we can get to this point and you're like, God, another thing, another moment, another piece in time. I I remember that morning that that text message came in and again, (laughs) I I get a lot of text messages in the morning when I'm laying in bed, (laughs) if I can remember where I was, I just was laying there and and I remember reading it and I said, oh, and Shauna said, what? And I said, like, listen to this, like. And I just, I remember saying to her, it's like, it's just pouring rain in the situation. Like, is there any relief? And I, and I kind of almost felt like my mind went back to Job. It went back to other things like, God, why? I mean, when is enough, when is enough enough? And, and how, how come? And all those questions in minds start to, start to ask that question, why? And so I, I remember that morning then. I texted the elders, I texted our staff, and we started praying for you guys that uh, the surgery, one, would be successful, but that required you to come off the donor list for a season. Mm-hmm. And, and man, I could just remember thinking to myself, Lord, please, not now, you know, of all the times, not now. Right. And so you went through the surgery, and, mm-hmm. and it wound up to the, to the moment being actually your your recovery if i recall right was faster than anticipated yes yes it was yeah so you have to go through the process of laying flat on your stomach correct actually no the way mine was i had to keep my for two or three days i had to keep my head face down but my body upright 
And then for the next two weeks, I had to do everything sitting upright, including sleeping. Oh, mm. attempting to sleep. True. <laughs> yeah. Gotcha. Man, it doesn't. It you know, Chris, during this season. Is there, I, and I just ask, you know, you say that you held on to God's faithfulness. Was there other things that you held on to, a verse or a, a thought or something that you you really felt, okay, God, you're going to get us through this? Um, I don't necessarily know if this was just a verse, but I just felt like God was saying, I've got you. I've got you. You're, you're not going anywhere. I've had you along, all along, and I'm going to continue to be with you. And I think it just when something else would come up and you mentioned Job and one night I said to Rob, do you ever feel like you're Job? And he's like, have you read Job's story? (laughs) He's like, I have my family. I have my, you know, my business. He's like, you know, Job went through so much more. And I was kind of alluding to that one thing after another, after another. But um, I think for us too is when one of us would be down, the other one would Mm. be Mm -hmm. up. So we were never down at the same time. And we just knew that, you know, we had to, if we were discouraged the night and the next morning, we had to change our attitude and, and to be the positive. And I just, like I said, I just felt like God was just saying, I've got you. And that's what I, I just had to hold on to that. It became evident, the reality set in, um, that you are going to need a kidney and you're going to need a liver. And the reality is this is no longer an option for it to be a live donor. Somebody has to give their life in order for you to have life in the long run. Talk to me about that process, because I I can remember your prayer requests, and I remember how that that wrestling match went in your mind. Talk to us a little bit about that. That was a tough struggle. Still is, um, to an extent. But, yeah, knowing someone would have to lose their life for me to essentially regain mine, um, it was tough. And as soon as we found out that I was going to be a dual recipient, that's when it changed my prayers for that donor's family. I mean, I had been praying for a donor and their family, but, you know, this is like, boy, yeah, I hope they know Jesus. Mm-hmm. Or if they don't, I hope, you know, this brings a family to Jesus. And, and just knowing how hard that would be. Um, but, you know, just such an amazing gift like when we arrived two weeks ago Saturday to, uh, you know, for the transplant. And I, like she said, we were in the pre-op room and they were working me up and and I just kept thinking, you know, they're going to turn us around. They're going to send us home. Something's going to happen. And when the nurse gave me the thumbs up, so the organs are on their way. Um, that's when it really hit home. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I really, I really did struggle with that, but we had a, wonderful nurse that day. Her husband, I believe, had gotten a liver transplant years before. And she said, you know, don't feel bad. Don't feel guilty. That was, that was their path. And they wanted to do this. They wanted to share those organs to give somebody new life. And she said, today it's you. And I needed to hear that. You got a phone call. And you never know when that phone call is going to come. Talk to us about that day you got the phone call that organs are available. And you, we live a couple hours yeah. away, <laughs> right, from Indianapolis. Yeah. Yeah, it was that Saturday. Um, 
is right around lunchtime. Kirsten went out to run some errands, so I was just home alone, and I had made myself a sandwich and and uh, had some fruit and I think some chips. You know, I was just sitting down to eat, and my phone rings, and it's uh, no caller ID, and they said, you know, you got to answer those because it could be transplant. Well. Between when I went on the list and when I got the real call, I bet you I got about a hundred calls that were not transplant. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, okay, let's answer it. So I answered it, and they said, "This is, you know, the IU Transplant Center. Can you be here in four hours? We have a kidney and a liver for you." And I'm like, uh, "Yeah, I think we can do that." She's like, "When's the last time you've eaten?" I'm like. I had one cracker, <laughs> but I said, I'm, I have my lunch right here. She was like, don't eat, you know, grab your bags and come. So mm-hmm. yeah, hung up the phone and Chris is over at her parents' house. And I'm like, you got to come home now. We got to go. We got the call. Mm. What did that feel like, Chris, when he called you? I've had my bags packed since August, oh, a suitcase wow. in my bedroom. Yeah. Because in August, when they said it would be a duel, they said, oh, it won't be long. Well, then his numbers got better. So that pushed him further down the list. But my suitcase was still there. But of course, that was summer. I packed warmer stuff for the <laughs> hospital. So now I've been using out of the suitcase that was there. But um, so when he calls me and he says, you know, come home, I'm like, what? Seriously? You know, like you imagine where you're going to be when you get mm-hmm. that phone call. And like, oh, my word. Oh, my word. So of course, I get behind slow drivers <laughs> coming from <laughs> Napanee to Wakarusa. And I think all the way home, like, what did I have to grab? What did I have to, you know, trying to remember everything. And he was sitting right there at the drop zone of, the, of our house waiting for me to get my stuff and get packed up when I got there. So it was a very quick um, a quick turnaround to 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 leave for Indianapolis. But I think it was always to, we always were told you could come halfway, you could come all the way down and it still not be mm. a go. So you kind of have to prepare yourself for that. Yeah. But I was calling everybody, telling him to pray. And he's like, stop, stop. What if it's not it? And I'm like, no, honey, we got to, we got to have people praying that it is a go, you know, that mm-hmm. these organs are, are going to work. And so Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it was, it was, it was always a, a question, right? Yeah. And there was mm-hmm. always that in that you you don't have doubt. You're not doubting God. You're just like, is this real? Like, is it really real? Right? And is this going to work this time? Is this mm-hmm. is this really the call? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, how far away is it to the to <laughs> IU transplant center um, on a normal on a normal day? Two and a half to two hours and forty five minutes. How fast do you make it? Uh, just under two hours. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was reminded repeatedly along the way that we're the recipients and not the donors. <laughs> so, yes. Oh, man. Let's, uh, let's, let's make a shift here in the conversation, kind of back to where we started. Angie, you and I started talking about waiting and the process of waiting. Uh, in this journey, you had no guarantees. Uh, even up to those phone calls, even up to making it to Indianapolis, you had no guarantees. Um that's uh, that's where it's God's timing many times in our life, and it's not our timing. How did you process the wait? Um, I think sometimes it was a day-to-day thing. Some days were tougher than others, but overall, I think I just came to the realization early on once all the hospitalization started that um, my attitude was really the only thing I could control. 
in this process. The rest was out of my hands and in his hands and, and the doctors or the donors or, you know, wherever else. But that's, that's how I, you know, probably dealt with it more than anything is just, you know, Hey, just be the type of person that can reflect, you know, God's love regardless of the situation. And that's really something I tried to, to concentrate on doing even in when it got really dark and you just think, you know, nothing's going to happen. Like when I woke up after those five days, it took me a day and a half to believe that I was out for five days. And, uh, you know, once I did and, and you make your peace with that and then that, you know, you realize really how, how sick that you are. But like Chris said, we had an amazing family, amazing circle of friends um, I've got some college friends from Taylor uh, that live in the Indianapolis area that would come and sit with Chris. Um, you know, just definitely a godsend there. And, you know, we had things to hang on to. There's a song called Desert Road by Casting Crowns. It's one we really grabbed on tightly to. Is you know, we don't know where you're going, but we'll walk that desert road with you. Because mm-hmm. you know. Chris, what did waiting look like for you? It was hard. <laughs> um, I can't fix him. As much as I wanted to be able to take care of him and get him better, I wasn't going to be able to. Obviously, it was out of my hands, too. Um, between the business and taking care of him, you know, there was just, there's a lot, there was a lot going on. Um, And I know there were some days there's, it was only by prayer that got us through. Prayers and God's strength that when we didn't know how we were going to do it, um, but I think the hardest part was feeling helpless that I couldn't make him better. I couldn't do anything to make it better except be there for him. Which made it better. Mm-hmm. I just think it was so valuable for what you just said, Rob, though, in that the only thing you both of you could control is your attitude and your outlook. That was the only thing. Everything else was out of your control. And so often we try to make all the adjustments to control the environment around us. And God just calls us, no, just you, just take care of you. I'm here. I got you. And so you made those adjustments to just say, I'm going to wake up in the morning and I'm going to trust. I'm going to walk one day at a time, which you said, and know that his redemption is here. And it's here. This is, this is so raw. This was only two weeks ago. And it's here, and I, I, I just wanna, I just wanna commend you guys for that, that, that small truth that you can only change uh, yeah. your attitude. When, when he said that, that stuck out in my mind too. That, that's perspective, and that's just not on a physical journey. That's in life. That's just a really great principle to do our best in life to live by. In life, there are mountaintop experiences and there are valley experiences. I often explain it like this in church. Um, we live for the mountaintop experiences, and we want to get out of the valley experiences as fast as we can. But there are a lot of lessons to learn in the valleys of life. When you guys look back over this journey of, of years, what are some of the lessons that maybe you learned in the valleys? 
kid. All good. Um, one of the big things I learned was I think that I had a lot of belief going in, didn't have a lot of faith, and uh, really had to learn faith uh, in this journey. Even after the transplant happened, um, there were nights that were really tough, you know, as, as things started to knit together and and really couldn't do anything without nurses' help. And sometimes it's hard to get a nurse in the middle mm-hmm. of the night one. And, um, you know, it just got to the point where, you know, I'd be, I'd be crying out you know, to God just to get me through the next hour. And, you know, you just sometimes you think what I'm praying for, you know, he's got all this stuff going on all around the world. Why would he even worry about what I'm praying to him? right now for and and he'd come through but a lesson i learned in that um was encapsulated pretty well by this quote a friend of mine sent me he said i asked god for strength that i might achieve i was made weak that i might learn humbly how to obey i asked for health that i might do greater things i was given infirmity that i might do better things I asked for riches that I might be happy. I was given poverty that I might be wise. I asked for power that I might have the praise of men. And I was given weakness that I might feel the need of God. I asked for all these things that I might enjoy life. I was given life that I might enjoy all things. I got nothing that I asked for, but everything that I had hoped for. Almost despite myself, my unspoken prayers were answered. I am among all men most richly blessed. That's powerful. Oh, and it's a perspective that I learned. Is like you said, it doesn't always look like what we ask for, but it's what we need in that moment. Oh, when you just said that belief and faith are two different things. That's huge. One of the one of the concepts there, I think what you said was you can believe in God. And yet faith is the action verb that he's calling you to. And you, and I, the other thing I heard in that was it was after the transplant that you sat there and you were even in more, like you, sometimes you think that after it happens, it's all going to be better, mm-hmm. but sometimes it's even harder. Yeah. Yeah. And right out of the box, you know, it was a lot physically harder than I, I think I had even anticipated. And, and yeah, when you're, you're in that position it's you know you mm-hmm. can't do anything yourself and you know god's like you can keep banging your head against the wall or you can just give it to me because i've always mm-hmm. been the type of guy that you know okay god you can have this you can have this but you know i i know you've got all this other stuff going on so i'll just hang on to this for you i'll take care of this that's always been one of my biggest struggles mm-hmm. but you know during those nights in the hospital it's just like Mm-hmm. you know it's yours help me get through the next hour and he did and i'd be like thanks you know mm-hmm. thank you for doing that let's get through the next one together yeah and that's when i think i really really learned my faith mm-hmm. other lessons i think part of the journey also it wasn't just um rob in 
that would be sharing, um, that be going through stuff. There were so many times um, when I would be down in Indianapolis staying at this hotel. Um, it, it was a hotel that people would stay at um, if their loved ones were in the hospital. And just being able to sit um, and hear other people's story, it wasn't, it kind of um, helped me to be, be taking my, not my eyes off of Rob, but seeing that there's other people that have loved ones that are just as sick as Rob and, and praying for them and meeting them. And I'm, I'm still praying for a couple of her husband just had a bone marrow transplant when Rob was in there. And it's just that, um, that God is so big. He's not just taking care of Rob when he's in the hospital, he's taking care of everybody. And, and just that reassurance and that reminder that he's not too big. He's, Mm -hmm. he's, he's not, um, he's not just there for my husband. He's not just there for um, the gentleman that had a bone marrow transplant. He's there for all of us. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it was just it was just an amazing time where I could um, the bunch of us could just pray for each other and help us get through those those days too. If you could give advice to somebody who's waiting in the waiting season of life, it could be a physical situation. They could be it could be occupational. It could be any of these types of things. What advice would you have somebody who finds themselves in a waiting season of life right now? When I struggle with the waiting, probably one of the most effective things I could do is remember my blessings. Mm -hmm. Instead of focusing on what I don't have or what I'm waiting for, I had to remind myself of what I already had, what I've been given. And, uh, some days that was easier than others, but but if I took enough time, um, there was always way more things that I've been blessed by than what I've been waiting for. So that was that was a good tool for me in the waiting, and um, you know also just spending time, you know, in, in the Bible and in the Word. Um, I was very fortunate too, uh, not only to have a wife that I can talk to about anything, but. Um, I'm part of a men's group on Saturday mornings that I could be real in and they could share, share the burden with me and, and pray with me and, and our couples small group here at walking missionary. Um, you know, we could do the same with, uh, community I think is so huge, especially in the waiting too. Um, I don't believe that we were meant to go alone and very, very blessed to have a community that can kind of hold my arms up when when the battle's still raging like they did with Moses. Do you think that there's a piece of this puzzle we haven't talked a little bit about? How do your kids play into this story and the waiting? And I, and I only ask you because I sat here this whole time and what you guys have went through is a test and that begins to show a testimony. But the people closest to you see that testimony in real time. And your kids live at home, or you know, I know there's some of it at school, and one's married, and that kind of thing. How how in that did that play out? And anything you learned in that, even as parents guiding children through something that they couldn't control and couldn't understand. Um, our daughter is at Paul State in nursing school, so this kind of gave her a a different look too, not just um, as a as her father, but as a patient and. Um, so at first, um, the first time he was um, in a coma, um, she didn't want to come. 
she was scared of, I think more scared he wouldn't wake up. And that wasn't how she wanted to remind, remember him. Um, and I had taken a picture of him and, and sent it to my son. And he's like, oh, he looks really peaceful. And, um, and I think as the process went, and then there were other times when he would, um, the, the toxins would be too much and, and Paige was home. And so she could see what I wake up to. And she was a huge blessing at times, um, you know, just being there. And she would always be like, Mom, I'll come. I'll, you know, I'll sit with you. Um, she was more home. Obviously, our son's in Indianapolis, and so it was further for him. Um, but it was it was amazing. And um, they all happened to be, Paige was at Ball State, and her boyfriend was there. So they drove up to Indianapolis last Saturday, or Saturday that he got the call. And they were all able to be in the waiting room with us. And my son made a comment how it was such a positive waiting room. And I think um, that's how God wanted it. He didn't want us to, he, he, he wanted us to be trusting him, and we did. He didn't want us to be crying and being worried. We just had to trust him. And it was just when he said that, I'm like, that's the way I wanted him to see it. I wanted him to see that it wasn't us um, being worried or scared or not believing that God was going to pull him through this. So that was that was a positive. That was a, a blessing to me too. What's next? You've you've often referred to this when I say something to the extent of, "Hey, I'd love to hear your story," and you often just stop and say, "It's his story. It's not. It's not my story." What's next? I know you're only a couple of weeks on the side of this recovery, but what do you what do you see? Um, you know, for me physically, a big part of it is, you know, getting back to full speed. I mean, even further than I was before. It's one of those things. I think if you have a progressive, you know, disease like this, you don't realize, you know, quote how sick you are until you start getting better. And, um, you know, that, that's been neat to watch that improve and, and just watch, you know, how God's putting everything back together. Um, as far as what entails that for us, I've, I've just always been of the opinion that um, the more I read the Bible, the more you see stories of broken people physically, emotionally, and see how God uses them. And that's just, that's really been my prayer um, you know, I don't don't need to be Billy Graham, but if I can sit down with a person or a couple that's walking through something and just be able to say, hey, I know how you feel. I've been there or, you know, I've been in a similar situation and and just be there to walk with them and beside them as they go through it. I think there's great power in that. And I think God can really use us in that. And, and I guess that's what... That's probably what I, I, I would like to see and what I see as far as is how this story can continue to progress. Rob and Chris, I am, I am grateful that you took time out of your schedule and, and really with this being so fresh to come in and spend some time in the studio for us, making the effort and, and literally making the effort because mm -hmm. one thing I failed to mention is that our studio is upstairs. Stairs. And so that was a challenge in and of itself. But uh, thank you for climbing those stairs and spending some time with us today. Angie, uh, 
we're back to the Christmas season and it's a season of waiting. And I think for the Henshin family, uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas look a lot different this year. And mm-hmm. uh, when we think about waiting, any last words on waiting? Well, I definitely think that God's promise is so key in the waiting that he prom- what he promises he will do. It doesn't it doesn't necessarily make sense to us. Like, you know, so many times we hear all these things that um, happened and all these things that went on even in your journey. And sometimes that doesn't feel like it makes sense to us when we're going through our life. But his promises never wane. They never change. And he will be faithful and he will never change even in the waiting. He's still working. And I just, I just encourage the listener to just hold to that truth because that's a piece of um, something that brings that those four words we often hear at Advent, hope, love, joy, and peace. When you have that promise of who God is and you're holding it to it, you can sit in that waiting room mm-hmm. and you can have positivity, you can have joy, and you can know that he will come through. Amen. You know, when I think of, of closing this thing up, I, th- I think of the what people seem to think is cliche. We say oftentimes the phrase, you know, God's going to go with you on this journey. And I think until you walk the journey, you don't really fully grasp what that is. Here's the reality. God has never promised us health and wealth and a, a smooth life here on this earth. Why is that? Because this life here on this earth was not ever intended to be the end all. And that is uh, an eternity that lies before us. And so my encouragement to those who may be finding themselves in the waiting is it's all perspective. Uh, let the Lord walk with you on this journey. He is faithful. He was faithful and he will continue to be faithful. We have to join him on that journey and live a life that's prepared for eternity to come. And you will find peace no matter what that outcome is with a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I think if anything that comes out of your testimony is you guys modeled that so well in the waiting with no guarantees, no promises, you knew at the end of the day, you're going to be well, whether that was well with Jesus, because it was, as it says in the song, well with your soul. And you can live with a peace that no matter the circumstances when we're walking with Jesus, um, we can have that hope. So to the listener, we we thank you for joining us today. We are grateful that you've come on on this journey with Mm us. Rob and Chris, Mm -hmm. we're thankful that you've taken the time to tell us your story a little bit. To those of you who are struggling and you're maybe in the process of waiting, we are here for you as a church. We would love to have conversations. We would love to walk alongside of you as uh, you are walking through your days. We're here walkemc.org is one place that you can find us and if we can better serve you we would love to walk with you so thank you for taking time today in the meantime until next time we wish you all the grace and the peace that the lord has to offer your life